Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? Yeah, there is some major reality TV douchery going on here. Nobody goes on the show looking for love, and if they do, they must have the IQ of a banana. We get another honey badge situation. I can't cope. It's totally lost me for good. People who liked the first making a murderer will be absolutely obsessed with this. I was like flashing back to pop stars with Jackie O, like they're all standing around with clipboards, but instead of deciding who's going to be in Bardot, they're deciding who's got bipolar disorder. If you like masturbation, I'm just going to leave that right Everyone there. Everyone loves masturbation. <laughs> Everything about this just felt gross to me. Welcome back to Binge List, your weekly guide to the best viewing on Aussie TV. I'm your host, Matthew Denby, back from holidays, and joining me today are Who's resident TV experts, Claire Rigdon and Gavin Scott. Thanks for holding the fort so brilliantly, guys. Hello, welcome back. Hi, it's so nice to have you back. We really missed you. Oh, thank you, guys. It's very, very kind of you. Now... (laughs) The Bachelorette is back on 10 with show veteran Ali Ochen searching for the perfect man after her disappointing turns on The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise. The ratings haven't been great so far for this season and after Nick Cummins offended a lot of Bachelor viewers by refusing to fall in love, this could be a bumpy ride for the show. What do you think, guys? I am not loving this season. I really am not. And I've never really liked The Bachelorette as much as The Bachelor franchise. Um I don't know. I just there's something about the kind of premise. It's, it, maybe it's reverse sexism. I don't know. It's weird, but I'm not. I don't. I'm just not feeling it. But yeah. So we we've, we've picked up this week with Ali's quest for love. We've met all the guys, and I don't know about you guys, but I feel like they're a pack of loons. Like really, honestly, I can't pick a single prospect amongst any of them because we've got like we've got a guy that rocks up with a lamb. We've got a dude trying to palm off a kangaroo scrotum. We've, uh, you know, we've got another dude in a in a like cosplay suit of armor that squeaks. Like what? Like honestly, I get that they have to cast for you know entertainment value, but poor Ali. Like, doesn't she deserve at least a couple of wifeys? Like, this is ridiculous. What do you think, Gav? Yeah, there is some major reality TV douchery going on here. Um, <laughs> totally. Those guys, is it Paddy, the bleach blonde guy? Yeah. He, oh, my God, Paddy. I mean, it's obvious why he's there. He's getting lots jog of attention. Jog on, Paddy, jog on. Oh, she's fit, she's fit. But do you know what? Is it cheating if I only watch the 10 daily updates of The Bachelorette? I don't actually watch the full episodes because 10 daily, there's, there's this guy, he's got dark hair, he sounds kind of like Josh Thomas, his name's Matt Whitehead, I call him the, the brunette Josh Thomas. He does an excellent job of summing up The Bachelorette and it's really funny and I would actually kind of rather watch that show than The Bachelorette itself. But um, Same. my question is, why would Ali do this? I mean, it's the third time. She's struck out twice before. Does she really think, okay, the odds are in my favour, right? I've got the full pick. I've got 20, 30 guys, however many it is. Is that why she's doing it? Because she thinks, I've got to find someone, right? No, that's not why she's doing it. We all know why anybody does this show. 
Instagram followers and a shot at a slot on Channel 10. That's all <laughs> it is. It's media She's career got a positioning. She's wellness product fruit, doesn't she? Well, who cares? I just, I just think that, you know, these people, we all know why they go on this show. Nobody goes on this show looking for love. And if they do, they must have the IQ of a banana because it's just crazy. Nobody thinks that anyone's really going to fall in love. It's all about the but fights, George, the dramas. Georgia fell in love and... and um and Tim fell in love and Sam and Snez fell in love. Like, oh do you think it's God. a recent thing? I just think that the chances of anyone finding true love on a show like this are microscopic. I think I think after three times as well, it's like, get the hint, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So what is it about being fooled three times? Is she going to get to the end of this season and be like, oh, I still didn't find anyone. Maybe she should try something other than reality TV. Maybe that's the, the, the key to her happiness. Like, let's face it, she wouldn't She wouldn't have any shortage of men wanting to date her. She's gorgeous, she's articulate, she's funny, she's smart. Like, I'd bloody date her. But, like, it's just, I don't I don't really understand it either. And I tell you what, if there's no payoff at the end, did you, did you see in that first episode how they had a teaser of her, like, basically having a panic attack and sobbing at the finale? I'm like, oh, my God, if we get another sort of honey badge situation, I just, I can't cope. Yeah. I, um, it's totally lost me for good if that's the way it's going. Well, do you think that's why people aren't tuning in as much? Has Nick Cummins' decision to, to not choose anyone, has that ruined both The Bachelor and The Bachelorette? Because people are like, I'm not going to invest in this show and watch, you know, whatever, how many weeks, four weeks, eight weeks of this to get to the end and and be let down at the end. Yes. Do you think, do you think that's what's killing it in the ratings a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think people are getting a bit jaded. But we've also been spoilt recently with some celebrity casting with Nick Cummins and before him, Sophie Monk. So it's a bit of a who-is-this-chick kind of vibe with this new season. Nobody really cares. Although I think she's quite good at it. I think she's she's quite sort of appealing once you do watch the show. But she's certainly not a name that would draw you right in. But as far as the guys, we've already said a few scathing things about the guys. But what about Charlie? A lot of viewers seem to be really horny for him. Oh, not his viewer. <laughs> he's the one who came back from the date and was all like, I'm not going to talk about if we kissed, kissed and tell. And, and the date, what weird kind of date was that? That twister up, on the, up, in, up in the sky. That was the date from like, hell. I know. Does that, does that, is it just kind of trying to engender a bit of Stockholm Syndrome so she falls in love with her kidnapper? It's like, okay, whatever, I'll do whatever, just as long as you get me off this bloody thing. He seems very nice in, in, in the little bit I saw on the um, 10 Daily Update. So I've seen thirty seconds of him. He he seems very nice, but um, I don't know. A lot of those guys on The Bachelor, we had you know Cat and and all the Mean Girls. What's the equivalent on The Bachelorette? Is it like the the Bros or or the Yeah, it's the Bros. The the Bros who aren't there for the right reason. They they're there to you know cause trouble and get into punch ups and things like that. I don't know. Why would you bother? Yeah, we did have an extended chat uh, in our last talk about The Bachelor where we all sort of agreed that the Nick Cummins season may possibly be the beginning of the end of the show because of the the self-awareness that it exhibited and of the number of winks that it gave to the audience. And I tend to think we're probably on the money there. I think that this is the beginning of the end of this franchise. I don't think this season's going to pick up significantly in ratings. So unless they do another big stunt casting in the next season, and get someone fantastic, another Nick or another Sophie who gets everyone talking. I think this could be the show circling the drain. 
If you're still keen on watching The Bachelor, it's on Channel 10 and also available on 10 Play. So check it out. And 10 Daily. Hi, this is Angie. And Evie. And we're from Gogglebox. And you're listening to The Binge List. And now for something completely different. Amazon Prime's new anthology drama series, The Romanoffs, is about as far from The Bachelorette as you could possibly imagine. This is a series of separate stories about different people who believe themselves to be descendants of Russia's tragic Romanoff royal dynasty. Gavin, you've seen it. What did you think? Um, well, I've seen the start of it because let me tell you, the Romanovs is a major time investment. The first episode is 90 minutes and I thought, okay, first episodes can maybe be a little bit longer. I started the second episode, also 90 minutes. So I have a, fe- I have a feeling that, yeah, all the episodes are, are pretty much just movie length. But uh, yeah, as uh, you indicated, Matt, it is the anthology series from Mad Men creator Matthew Weiner. And, you know, after Mad Men's success, obviously Matthew's pretty much able to do whatever he wants. Amazon has thrust a lot of money at him and he's gone away and he's made what it basically amounts to eight feature films about people living in all parts of the world. The first episode is set in Paris. The second episode is in America. Uh, and the tenuous link between all these stories is that someone in the story is a descendant or believes to- that they're a descendant of the Romanov family, which was the Russian Russian Tsar and his family who were gunned down by the Bolsheviks. And we see um, we see that slice of history in the opening credits for the Romanovs. Uh, other than that, the, the stories seem pretty much unconnected. And in the first episode, the connection to the Romanovs doesn't come in until about 40 minutes into it. So it's really not a major component of the show, th- this premise. It feels like... Uh, I, I don't know, he wanted to do all these different stories and goes, right, how can I link them together? Right, this is the link. But it, it's not It's not about Russian history. It's not about um, Russian royalty, things like that. It's about people living their lives and, and the stories concerning those people. And in the first episode, which is called The Violet Hour, it's about this uh, wealthy widow, Anushka, in Paris, who has health problems and she has this nephew, Greg, played by Aaron Eckhart, who is kind of just hanging around waiting for her to kick it so that he can inherit her wonderful apartment in Paris. He's He's a bit nicer than that, but basically that's the kind of premise. And she has full-time care, and her latest carer is Muslim, and this woman is the most hideous racist, and there's all sorts of dialogue between the two of them where she basically talks about uh, the carer, the Muslim carer, wanting to bomb the apartment and things like that. So it's it's, it's very un-PC, but... You know, as a piece of uh, TV, the script is great, the acting's great, the budget is amazing, it's on location in Paris, it looks fantastic, it kind of feels like a Woody Allen film in a lot of ways. Cool. It's not sounding great, Gav, I have to say, it's sounding like a whole lot of hard work. It it kind of is. I did enjoy the first episode, I, I must admit I watched it over two nights, I got in, I got 40 episodes in, 40 episodes, 40 minutes in, and went, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm going to need to continue this tomorrow night. And uh, and I did come back and I finished it, but it kind of felt like you know how Woody Allen cranks out a film a year, and they're fine, they're they're entertaining enough, but uh, you know you often get to the end of them and go, well, what was the point of that? I did kind of feel like that with with this first episode, and when when I got to the second episode, I got halfway through that again and kind of went, yeah, okay, I, I think I've seen enough. 
So right. the reviews haven't been great. Uh, it's been called self-indulgent by quite a lot of places online. And I kind of feel like it reminds me a bit of J.K. Rowling. You know when we got about four books into the Harry Potter series and you could just see the editors going, you know what, she wants to write 700 pages, letter. I feel like yeah. it's the case here. He did Mad Men. He won all these awards. He wants to make 90-minute episodes. Let him. Let him do whatever the hell he wants. And that's kind of the vibe I get from the show. And I know that neither of you two have actually had the time to watch this. Do you, do you think you will? No. Nope. <laughs> I want to be proven wrong. Like, yeah, it doesn't sound like you're going to watch too much more. So maybe one of our binge listers can watch it and t- give us the definitive once they finish it. Yeah, I think the only Romanovs I'm interested in are the uh, Russian royal family. So maybe I'll see if there's something on History Channel and watch that instead. And if you're interested in watching the Romanovs, it's available now on Amazon Prime. TV news. It's TV news time. And this week we see the return of a TV game changer with Making a Murderer Part 2 airing on Netflix from October 19. The original series of this show had a lot of people convinced that convicted killer Stephen Avery was innocent. And it stirred up a whole genre of real life crime series that continued to uh, plague us to this day. Since then, a lot of people have become much savvier about spotting the techniques these kind of shows use to create a marketable narrative and to manipulate the audience's perceptions. Have we changed too much to get drawn into making a murderer a second time? What do you think, Gavin? I think a lot of people will be interested in seeing this. It was such a huge success for Netflix the first time round. And uh, yeah, following the story, or was it four years later? Following the story now is going to interest a lot of people. We can't actually review the show for you because there's an embargo which doesn't lift until the day it comes out, which is October 19. So while I would like to tell you what this season is like, I can't. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There are so many of these shows now that maybe, as you say, they are becoming a little bit predictable. They are becoming, you can see through, like The Bachelor, I guess, in a way. You can see Mm. through the, the machinations behind the show to work out the clues and work out the tricks they use. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not the biggest true crime fan, so it would take a lot for me to invest in this one. Claire, what do you think? Okay, I'm just going to come out and say that um, without giving anything away, people who liked the first Making a Murderer will be absolutely obsessed with this. It's really interesting and a total game changer again. Now, it's really, really hard to elaborate on that without massively breaking the embargo so i'm just going to steer totally away from that and just basically give you two words that sum it up binge it like i started watching it so we got access this morning and i started watching this and i can't stop and it's actually interfering with my other work because i just kept like oh i'll just watch another 10 minutes of it it's really interesting i think that it's going to get a lot of people talking i think that it's going to be making headlines again That's all I can say without getting sued. So you'll just have to wait till Friday and tune in. Right, I don't think I'm going to watch this season and it's because I've uh, transformed from a huge fan of this genre to someone who's become quite cynical and disappointed. I think since the original Making a Murderer and then The Staircase, both of which I enjoyed, I've consumed a lot of content about both of those cases and you've just become more and more aware of, of lots of really interesting information that the producers of both those shows didn't include in their original um, runs of the shows and you can only assume why that information hasn't been included and if if you're cynical, you might say, because it interferes with the narrative 
narrative that they're trying to sell. Now, I've got no doubt after watching the original Making a Murderer that the legal process that sent Stephen Avery to jail is extremely dodgy. That does not mean I think he's innocent. A lot of information surrounding him was left out of the original Making a Murderer, which is possibly going to be touched on in the new season. You'll just have to wait and see, uh, viewers. Okay, so can I interrupt you, Matt, to say that you absolutely will have to watch this second part. I don't I I don't think you'll be able to resist. You mm-hmm. have to watch it. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Now, viewers, please do watch it and let us know what you think of the new season. Perhaps you can get in touch with us uh, via Twitter. Uh, I'm Mr. Matt Denby, Gavin Scott 99, and I am Claire. We'd love to hear what you think. This is going to be a talked about show, but my prediction is it's not going to be the cultural phenomenon that the first season was, simply because we've seen so much of this kind of content since. But it is a fascinating case, and fanatics, I'm sure, are going to be obsessed. So check it out on Netflix from October 19. And in other TV news, those edgelords over at SBS are taking more risks with their new show, How Mad, in inverted commas, Are You? This one features 10 Australians, five of whom have a history of mental illness, spending a week together. Now, who is who? That's the question that's raised here. Claire, what did you think? Yeah, look, this is a bit of a tricky show to talk about because on the surface, you could think that it was a little bit loathsome in that you know, the premise is you have 10 people in a house, five are mentally ill, five are normal, and then you have three people who are trained psychologists and psychiatrists watching them kind of married at first sight style through a monitor and assessing who's mad and who's sane. Like, that is not what it's about whatsoever, but on paper you could be mistaken for thinking that. And what SBS are very good at is um, is sort of putting quite out there inflammatory titles on on content that is really just more about sparking conversation and isn't in the slightest bit controversial, which is how I felt about this show. I mean, so it is really interesting because one in five Australians will experience some sort of mental illness every year and one in three of us will, will, will experience it at some point in our lives. So it's something we can all relate to. Everybody's got friends and family who've had some difficulties over the years. And so... I guess the main point of this show is that it's incredibly hard. The line between mental illness and mental health is re- is really fine one. And especially in, di- you know, diagnosing mental illness can be incredibly tricky. So essentially these three experts are, are, are on face value are sort of diagnosing people, which is just, it sounds on paper just so wrong. But actually this is worth watching and it's particularly worth watching if you um, have an experience with mental illness or someone in your family because it says a lot of really important things about um, mental health, how people are treated, the stigma attached to being a diagnosis and it really shows the fact that a diagnosis of mental illness doesn't have to be a life sentence. You can absolutely get treatment and get better which is my takeaway from this show. I just wish they hadn't gone with such a sensationalist premise. Um, yeah, it's worth checking out. Have either of you guys seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we both watched it. And, um, I, yeah, I, I agree. The takeaway message from this is, is quite good that, you know, you can have a mental illness and still go through life doing, you know, all the things the rest of us do. And if you're diagnosed and treated it it, you know you can live a fairly quote-unquote normal life and that's an important message to get out there and I think this is a useful show for that but it is weird 
seeing this as a kind of reality TV type of thing with having the panel. And it did really feel like Married at First Sight, having the panel. They're a lot better than the Married at First Sight panel. That panel on Married at First Sight, I mean, they're, they're terrible, right? But, um, you know, they, they seem genuinely invested in, in getting things right. And it's really interesting when they sit down with people at the end of the episode and, and the panel try to make their predictions because they don't know who has mental health issues and who doesn't. And so they sit down with people and go, our observations are that you were possibly diagnosed with this in the past or our feeling is that you have no mental health issues. And sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. And that's kind of weird. It, it, it is very, yeah, reality TV-ish. And I, don't, I know, Matt, it didn't really sit well with you, did it? Look, uh, like you, I am 100% behind the mission or the purported mission of this show to destigmatize mental illness, to educate people about mental illness, to not stereotype people with mental illness. 100% behind that. But that is a separate issue from the execution and how this show turns out. Um, like you, I found that the panel segments, um, frankly, ridiculous, silly, dumb, yeah, um, awkward. I was like flashing back to pop stars with Jackie O, like they're all standing around with clipboards, but instead of deciding who's going to be in Bardot, they're deciding who's got bipolar disorder. It's incredibly oh, yeah. jarring. It's silly. Look... I'm not going to continue to slate it because I do believe that their hearts are in the right place, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Having said that, very pro the mission. So hopefully somebody gets something out of this. So if you're interested in checking out How Mad Are You, it's available on SBS and SBS On Demand. Do give it a go and tell us what you think. To binge or not to binge? That is the question. Now, Gavin, I believe you've watched Wanderlust, which is available from October 19 on Netflix. I have indeed, and it's uh, Tony Collette's Netflix show. It seems like you're not an actor worth your salt unless you have a Netflix drama at the moment, and Tony Collette has hers with this British show, and it focuses on a relationship counsellor, Joy, which is Tony's character, who, after a cycling accident, has no sexual chemistry with her husband, Alan. And since their sex life is so dire, the couple start to wonder for lust. Get it? Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you like masturbation, I'm just going to leave that right Everyone there. Everyone loves masturbation. <laughs> if you like conversations about masturbation, then you are going to love the first five minutes of this show. I've never yeah. seen so much talk about masturbation on my TV at, at once before. Um, look, there, there are elements of this I like. Uh, the fact that we've got this counsellor who tries to fix other people's relationship going through troubles in her own relationship is, is quite interesting. It's not completely original. I'm sure we've seen things like this before. But, uh, you know, it, it works well. Tony Collette is great, obviously, and, and her and her husband have this nice relationship. They're not fighting. They're not. It's not one of those shows like Divorce starring Sarah Jessica Parker where they're at each other's throats. It's just the fizzle has gone out of their relationship and they're drifting. What I didn't really like was that I, I wasn't sure if it was a comedy or if it was a drama, and it kind of occupies this weird place in the middle where it probably needs to be funnier if it's going to be a comedy because there are some moments that are, that are quite amusing, some of that masturbation talk, for example. Um, but if it's going to be a drama, maybe it, it needs to be a bit more intense. So I don't, I think it doesn't really know exactly what it wants to be. Uh, it's this kind of weird, mundane middle ground. But, uh, you know, it's okay. It, it doesn't quite feel like a Netflix show. It feels like something on, uh, my partner tells me, ITV, if that means anything to our British listeners out there or, or expats out there. It, it's not bad. But, Claire, I know you had a, a bit of a reaction to it, didn't you? I have a really strong visceral reaction to this, which was a little bit similar to walking in on your parents having sex. Like, no, Ugh. 
thank you very much. It's like middle-aged white people talking about sex and having sex ad nauseum. It's icky. It's really, really it's such a hard path for me. I hated the concept. I hated the characters. I hated how irritating everyone was. But mostly I just hated to imagine any of them having sex because this is really awkward. The dialogue's awkward. The exposition's awkward. That's basically, it's almost like there's a genre. Like he might have even started a new genre of like awkward drama comedies. Like it's just everything about this just felt gross to me. So, yeah, no, thank you very much. What about you, Mr. Matt Demby? Look, I don't know where I stand with Tony Collette anymore because I went and saw her movie Hereditary, uh, which features a scene of her creating tiny models of her daughter's decapitation, and I found it really difficult to engage with her ever since that moment. But maybe I need to watch Muriel's Wedding again and sort of reboot my love for her. Um, Look, the the subject matter doesn't appeal to me, so I'm going to give it a hard pass. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. And this week's Hidden Gem is Bluey on ABC Kids. Tell us all about it, Claire. Well, Bluey is definitely the polar opposite of what we were just talking about. It is an absolute delight. And it's not exactly a hidden gem. If you've got little kids, chances are they've been watching this for a couple of weeks now. It's an Aussie-made cartoon and it's uh, since it debuted on ABC Kids, it's been doing really, really well. And rightly so. It's just fantastic and totally adorable. And a very good antidote to the depressing sort of 24-hour news cycle and all that manufactured reality that we've been forced to watch. So it's all about Bluey, a little six-year-old blue healer pup who lives with her mum, Chili, her dad, Bandit, who is voiced by Dave McCormack from Custard, which is just so funny. He's great. And they, and his little sister, her little sister, Bingo. And they live together in this gorgeous little Queenslander, um, which, by the way, is totally covetable. The house is just so sweet, the cartoon. I'm like, ooh, that house is gorgeous. Anyway, so all they really do in every episode is just play. They have unstructured, delightful little storylines around Bingo and Bluey playing, which is just really lovely because it's nice to d- rediscover the world through Bluey and Bingo's eyes. Uh, there's, there's some great performances in this. Miff Warhurst actually pops up in a few episodes as Auntie Trixie who's mum to Muffins and Socks, their cousins, and they pop around for a barbecue. I, I, re- I listen to uh, Miff's podcast, Bang On, podcast fans, check it out, it's really good. She does it with Zan Rowe and she talks a little bit about how Auntie Trixie is basically hers, you know, like if there's a party she'll rock up. And, yeah, so she was sort of channeling herself in the character. But there's no humans in this. It's like a whole entire world created as though the dogs are humans. It's very, very sweet. And the people behind it have a fantastic pedigree. So we've got um, – it's created by Joe Brum, who's behind Charlie and Lola, and Charlie Aspinall, who also has a lot of great stuff under his belt. They've both got little children, and when they created it, they both had kids that were aged – two daughters aged four and six. So they're really at the coalface of parenting, and they, you can really tell that from watching this because a lot of the little storylines feel very real. The EP for BBC, because it's a co-production between CBBS and ABC, she's a woman behind Hey Dougie and Michael Carrington, who is the EP for ABC. He is, has been involved in Shaun the Sheep. So that tells you a little bit about the pedigree of the people involved. It's really good. And, look, even if you don't have children, it's definitely worth checking this out. It's really nice to see Australian stories portrayed on screen particularly in children's entertainment because it's not something we see a lot if you if you watch a lot of abc for kids then you'll see a lot of british content but yeah this is just absolutely stunning and if you're feeling a bit 
disillusioned with the world, a bit hungover, a bit sad, just stick this on and watch a couple of episodes. It's really, really gorgeous. Sounds like a good one for the kids. Well, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please tune in next week where we're talking about Australian drama fighting season, UK series Bodyguard, and chilling adventures of Sabrina. Please make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Google, or give us a listen on Spotify. We'll see you next week. Until then, happy viewing. Bye. Bye, guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.